Good morning. Let me encourage you to open your Bible or Bible app to Acts chapter 2. We heard Rob Davis read a portion earlier. I'm going to begin to read starting with verse 14. Let's hear God's word together now. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood and before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Amen. Thanks be to God. This is his holy word. Dave Davila grew up in a tight-knit family outside of Chicago. He was the only one of the four children in the family to move away from the old neighborhood, and his mom kind of took it really hard. In fact, she missed him so much, she took a digital photo of Dave and had it blown up into a life-size cardboard cutout. Life-size. She called it Flat Dave. Uh, so at any family gathering, when real Dave wasn't there, she'd pull out Flat Dave as a stand-in for the photos. She'd pose Flat Dave, and it would look like her son was really there for the family gatherings. Well, pretty soon, she started taking Flat Dave with her in the car to go to the hair salon or to the mall or to the grocery store. She took Flat Dave everywhere. And so her story kind of made it into the local radio station, the local newspaper, and overnight, Dave became kind of a celebrity. People would stop her on the street and in stores. They'd want to take selfies with Flat Dave. Some people even thought that Flat Dave was more interesting than real Dave. The only problem was Flat Dave wasn't real. He was a cardboard cutout. I think that can happen with people and Jesus. They relate to Jesus almost like he's a cardboard cutout, a substitute, a stand-in, something that you would pull out of the closet on important times, you know, Thanksgiving, Christmas, Easter, maybe a wedding, maybe a funeral, but then back into the closet he goes. Flat Jesus provides some level of comfort, I guess. The problem is flat Jesus isn't real. In a crisis, it becomes apparent that flat Jesus cannot handle the real world, can't handle the stresses of life or the complicated problems of every day. A flat Jesus is going to let you down every time because he's a caricature, not even close to the real thing. But for so many people, this is about as deep as their understanding of Christ really gets. Flat Jesus. There's no life, there's no, there's no zest, there's no jump to their faith because they don't know the real Christ. They settle for a cardboard cutout. What was it? that transformed the first followers of Jesus from scared, frightened fugitives to bold, death-defying disciples? Was it Jesus' teachings, his system of ethics? Was it Jesus' charisma as a leader? No, what transformed the disciples was their personal encounter with the risen Christ. Their personal encounter with the risen Christ. After Jesus' crucifixion, they were all in hiding. They were shaken in their sandals, afraid Roman soldiers would kick in the door and just drag them away. 
But all that changed, and in the book of Acts, we see the same frightened followers now out in the public square, boldly preaching to everyone who will hear that Jesus the Messiah is risen and alive. Last week I mentioned that one of the three essentials of the early church was that they had a single message, and that message was Jesus alive. Jesus out of the grave, flesh and blood, resurrected Jesus, a real 3D Jesus. Not a ghost or a hallucination, but a physical, corporal Jesus who the disciples and others talked with and walked with and ate with for 40 days before he ascended to heaven. It was that personal encounter with the risen Jesus that launched the disciples into a resurrection insurrection. That's what made the difference. They met the real Jesus. Imagine taking up this challenge for a second. How would you uh, describe the taste of fresh pineapple to an Inuit native who has lived his whole life within the frozen Arctic Circle, whose diet consists entirely of seal blubber and fish? Or how would you describe you know, the fun of a snowball fight to an African bushman who has lived his whole life on the hot plains of the arid Kalahari Desert? Not an easy task, because communication requires that you have something in common with the other person. A frame of reference, a, a pool of knowledge, some kind of shared history. Something to draw from in order to make that connection. And there are things that have to be experienced in order to be understood. They have to be experienced in order to be understood. You have to put that piece of pineapple in your mouth and taste its sweetness on your tongue to really understand its flavor. You have to feel icy crystals go down the back of your shirt to really know what a snowball fight is all about. This is true with Jesus as well. Jesus has to be experienced in order to be understood. So Peter has a difficult job here in the second chapter of Acts. He has to explain to people how they can experience the full presence of Jesus now that Jesus is no longer physically there. By this time, Jesus has ascended to the Father. He is no longer physically in the world. So how can new people possibly experience, have a real experience of Jesus when he's not physically around anymore? Well, thankfully, Jesus had primed the pump on this back in the Gospel of John, chapter 14. He told Peter and others exactly how people would be able to fully experience his presence after he left physical earth. Verse 16 from John 14. Jesus says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it does not see him or know him. But you know him because he lives with you, and he will be in you. And then Jesus continues in chapter 15, verse 26. I will send you the helper from the Father. He is the Spirit of truth who comes from the Father. When he comes, he will tell about me. And you must also tell people about me because you have been with me from the beginning. That's John 15. Jesus makes a promise that the Holy Spirit will be his real presence in the world. You see, while Jesus was in this physical world in his physical body, he voluntarily accepted limitations on his omnipresence. While in his incarnate human body, he was geographically limited, physically constrained to be in only one place at a time. That's why he said to the disciples it was for their benefit that he go to the Father, so that the Spirit could now be his omnipresence in the soul of every believer everywhere. This is a glorious promise. 
the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit, connecting Christ to all believers everywhere at all times. And in Acts chapter 2, we see the fulfillment of this promise. People had gathered near the great temple in Jerusalem. They had just witnessed the miraculous multiplication of languages on the day of Pentecost. They'd heard the uh, untraveled followers of Jesus speaking in all of these unique, obscure language dialects, just like natives. People from nations far and near heard the gospel preached in their own languages by people who had never been out of Palestine. How? How could these Galileans speak to them in their own tongues? Well, Peter takes up the challenge of trying to explain what they had just seen. Peter, the same one who had abandoned Jesus when the soldiers came and who had denied ever even knowing Jesus, this same Peter is now so changed by the power of the Holy Spirit in his life that he's willing to stand before the whole world and proclaim Jesus as the Messiah. But Peter did have one thing going for him. All these people in the public square, they did have something in common. We're told in verse 5 of chapter 2 that they were all God-fearing Jews. They all shared a love for Yahweh. They all shared a devotion to what we now call the Old Testament. They had been schooled in it. They all had an understanding of the great themes of the Old Testament. And so Peter can address them as fellow Jews, and he uses two Old Testament prophecies that were very familiar to his audience to build a bridge of understanding. Ultimately, the challenge that Peter will lay before them is the same challenge God's going to lay before us this morning. We have to experience the Holy Spirit in order to understand the Holy Spirit. That's our challenge this morning. Today, most of us, we don't have a thorough understanding of the Old Testament like Peter's audience did. We're probably more like the Inuits or the Bushmen of the Kalahari, kind of scratching our heads, trying to understand Peter's message here. Because when people talk about the Holy Spirit today, you know, some unusual ideas kind of pop up. You know, the Holy Spirit... This, all this stuff sounds so mystical, so vague, so nebulous. It's like the Spirit of God. It just means a feeling of love or peace in the world, or that the Spirit is just God's energy emanating through the universe. The, the Spirit is the aura that God gives off. It's in the rocks and the trees and the birds and the bees. You know, it's in, it's in everything. The spiritual juice that, that lives in everybody. You know, the God in me greets the God in you, as the popular yoga phrase, namaste, goes. That's basically a Hindu or New Age philosophy. The God in me greets the God in you, and not what the Bible teaches at all. God's Spirit is not just an energy aura in the rocks and trees. God's Spirit is not some life force that resides in all people. Peter's message will help us gain a fuller understanding of who the Holy Spirit really is and what role the Spirit can play in our lives today. Peter appeals to the prophet Joel. Joel's message begins with a reference to the last days. In Jewish thought, the last days, they started with the birth of the Messiah and would continue until his second coming. The last days began with the Messiah coming as the suffering servant, and the last days will end when he comes again as the conquering king. Those are two streams of prophecy about the Messiah that run throughout the Old Testament. Now, no one knew how long a time period this would be. So as we hear the expression last days, we should not think of it as meaning that the end of the world is right around the corner, uh, that the second coming of Christ is, is imminent. We don't know. In Jewish thought, it was an indefinite time period that has a definite beginning with the birth of Messiah. We've seen that. 
and a definite ending when the Messiah returns to judge the world. We haven't seen that yet. But the length of time between those two events is unknown. The main characteristic of these last days has to do with the work of the Holy Spirit. God says through Joel, I will pour out my spirit. In Acts, we read the story of how God fulfills this promise as the Holy Spirit is poured out, becomes the essential foundation for everything that will follow as God builds his church throughout the book of Acts. There is no way for finite human beings to fully comprehend an infinite God. Our puny brains, you know, we're just not big enough to fully comprehend divinity and eternity. We're the creatures, he's the creator. So if we're to understand anything about this creator God, he must disclose himself to us. Without God's self-disclosure, we'd just be running around in the dark. All we'd be doing was be guessing, and we'd probably be guessing wrong. That's the way most of the world's religions came into being. Someone's best guess about, you know, the stars or the seasons or the reason for life. Most religions are human beings kind of reaching up to try and understand God, but we believe that the God took the initiative. Just the opposite happened. God reached down to us. God didn't leave his disclosure to chance. He intentionally did something. God was the one who chose to span the gap. God stepped out of eternity into time and space and matter, revealed himself to humanity, and God chose to reveal himself in a special, specific way, God has revealed himself as a trinity of Father, Son, and Spirit. Now this is so hard for us to understand, but it's crucial if we hope to really gain the essential role of the Holy Spirit. Uh, God is not a God who switches from one form to another like he's wearing different disguises. You know, at one time he's the Father, at another time he's the Son, and then he switches to the Spirit. Nope, uh, that's a heresy called modalism, if you're interested. Nor is he three separate gods, like you'll hear people sometimes say, well, there was a God of wrath and judgment in the Old Testament called the Father, and a God of grace in the Gospels called the Son, and now we live in the age of the church, and it's the God of the Spirit. Nope, that's not it either. God is all the same God all the time. The Bible teaches all three persons are equally the one and the same God all at the same time. We use the word Trinity to describe this full nature of God. God is a trinity of persons, intimately, eternally interwoven with God's self, like, like uh, the three sides of a triangle. You take one side away, you've no longer got a triangle. The Spirit is equally God with the Father and the Son, and we need all three to describe God's total being. So the Spirit is not just some impersonal energy force. That's why the scriptures refer to the Holy Spirit as a he and not an it. There are three persons of the Trinity. They're separate yet inseparable. All three have existed from all eternity, all of one essence, uncreated, all equal in power and divinity, distinct but the same. And this is the truth we and the whole, ch whole of Christ's uh, church affirm when we ever recite the, the Apostles' Creed or the Nicene Creed. I, I'd encourage you to go online today, read the Apostles' Creed. Read the Nicene Creed. They were both written with the express purpose of helping us to understand this dynamic nature of the triune God. There's no perfect illustration of this in our world. But think of a, a water molecule, H2O. It's made up of three atoms, one oxygen, two hydrogen. Take any one atom away and it's no longer water. You need all three to make one molecule. Or take the dimensions of a room. We've got length, we've got width, we've got height. 
you need all three dimensions to have a room. Take any one of those away and all you've got is a flat plane. It's one room, but it has three dimensions. That's the way God has revealed himself, one God in three persons. But until the resurrection of Jesus, the Spirit had not yet been given full authority, had not been fully released into the world. And so now post-resurrection in Acts, the Spirit is doing something new. The Holy Spirit is now able to apply the victory of the risen Christ to all believers. Let me say that again. The Holy Spirit is now able to apply the victory of the risen Christ to all believers. This was something that the Old, prophets, Old Testament prophets looked forward to. What will happen? What will, will the Holy Spirit do in this new era? Look down at verse 17. I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. The key phrase here is to pour out. This pouring out of the spirit is God's action. It's not ours. It's God's decision to pour out his spirit, not ours. It's not something we can control or manipulate or manufacture. God gives and we receive. The pouring out of the Spirit is actually connected to the pouring out of Christ's blood because in Greek the same word translated as pouring out is used to describe the shedding of blood. So when Jesus gave the sacrament of the Lord's Supper, uh, he used this phrase, the double meaning of the poured out wine into the cup. Poured out, shed blood. Christ's blood has been shed and now the Holy Spirit is being poured out. Poured out like, like rain on dry soil poured into our empty and dusty hearts, poured into our, our, our thirsty souls like living water. God pours and we are filled. That is why you'll hear Christians talk about the filling of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, his dwelling is a gift given to all believers. That's what we call the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That's once and for all. But the filling of the Holy Spirit has to do with the practical experiencing of the Holy Spirit's work in your daily life. And that's something that happens over and over again. God, Jesus promised that he would send the Holy Spirit in a new way to give guidance and insight, conviction, comfort, and strength. The Holy Spirit's our vital link to God the Father and God the Son. He is God's vehicle for delivering Christ's grace and love into our lives. And so it's through the agency of the Holy Spirit, God is able to indwell the heart of everyone who believes. What will the Holy Spirit do in this new era? Your sons and your daughters will prophesy, says Joel. Prophets speak for God. We tend to think of prophets as those who foretell the future, but in reality, Old Testament prophets would foretell more than foretell. In other words, they would look at a current situation in the world and then apply God's message, God's word to that situation. They would say, wake up and smell the coffee, Wake up and see what's going on all around you. You need to get right with God or else these consequences are going to happen to you in the future, maybe the near future. Through the prophets, God gave people advanced warnings so that they would turn to him in repentance and faith. And the prophet's job was not just to predict, but more importantly, to proclaim. And Joel tells us that sons and daughters will equally receive the spirit to do this. Joel says it again in verse 18. He says, even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. Men and women equally get the job of prophet. That's why it's hard for me to understand people who think that only men can be in leadership in Christ's church as pastors or teachers. It's pretty clear 
that women were elevated to the same honor of being able to speak on God's behalf as prophets. There is no more important role in Scripture for the church or for a Christian than to be God's prophet, and it is given to both men and women. Joel goes on to say that young men will see visions. Is there any greater need in our society today than that? There are so many young men, so many young women who just have no hope. They have no vision of the future. They see no future. We live in a time when young people are experiencing an epidemic of hopelessness, where they have no hopeful picture of a future. And this COVID crisis has just magnified the bleakness for so many. Did you know death by uh, drug overdose for young people is up 17% this year over last? The suicide rate is also steadily climbing, may not peak for another few months. Depression, anxiety, all the rest of those things hit young people the hardest. This is a hard time to be a teenager. Our young adults need to know that there's a God who loves them, who has a purpose for their lives, who can give them meaning and hope and, and the strength to overcome sort of this downward drag of the world. What a contrast when a young person finally gains an exciting vision of what God can do and what God will do through them in this world. Because hope is a sign of the Holy Spirit. Hope is a sign of the Holy Spirit. Joel also says, your old men will dream dreams. How many of our older friends have also given up? They're tired out. This world has been difficult. Their dreams have maybe died. They're struggling daily just to kind of make it through. So much disappointment. Through the Spirit, Joel says, God can even renew them. In a sense, Joel is saying that it doesn't matter if you're 16 or 60. God wants to put a new vision, a new dream in your heart. He wants to overcome the sense of loss that you're struggling with. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. And then skip down to verse 37 where the action continues. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and asked Peter and the other apostles, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, change your hearts and lives. Be baptized, each one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of this Holy Spirit. This promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far away. It is for everyone the Lord our God calls to himself. What shall we do? What's the response God is looking for? What we see here is actually the most important miracle the Holy Spirit will ever do. The Spirit was at work changing the hearts of the people who were listening to Peter's message. In John 16, 8, Jesus says it's the Holy Spirit's job to convince people of their sin, to turn their hearts towards God, to convince people of the truth of the gospel message. The Holy Spirit is the one who actually converts the hearts of those who are on the pathway to believe. Someone coming to faith in Christ, that is not something you or I can control or manipulate, nor should we try. It's God who changes the human heart. It's not my responsibility. It's not your responsibility to make people change or to be, nag someone into the kingdom of God. No, that is their business with God himself. Peter tells them in verse 38, repent and be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. You'll receive the gift of the spirit that promises for you and for your children and for all who are far off. The Holy Spirit is God's gift to you when you put your faith in Christ. And the sign of that gift is baptism for adults. And Peter also says for their children. The promise is for your children also, which is why we do baptize children of believers. It's biblical right there in black and white. 
If you're a Christian, you need to be baptized. That's the outward sign of what the Spirit has done in your heart if you've believed. And if you were baptized as a child, that counts. Even if you, you know, as an adult, you have some kind of a conversion experience of, as an adult, then you were baptized as a child, that still counts. You don't have to get re-baptized. But if you're an adult and you're a believer in Christ and you've never been baptized, friends, you need to take care of that. Just, just let me know. Baptism is something Jesus commanded, so he takes it seriously. So does the church, and so should you. So please let me know. As a public sign and symbol that you belong to Jesus through the indwelling of his Holy Spirit. Let's face it, many Christian people today have very little dynamic, God-inspired energy in their lives. They have very little of the joy, the peace, the stability, the passion for God that the Bible describes. And boy, this COVID situation makes all of that harder, I know. Instead, people can be satisfied with a superficial relationship with God, made up of words without feelings, doctrines without demonstration, struggles without healings. Surely there's more to the life of faith than just church meetings or studying the Bible or pious religious words or prayers that are so devoid of passion that they barely reach the ceiling. Surely the awesome Spirit of God wants to do more in your life and in the life of Christ Church than what is currently going on. There are scars Jesus wants to heal, relationships he wants to mend, insight Jesus wants to provide, sins Christ wants to forgive, people he wants to transform, ministries of mercy, justice, racial reconciliation that he wants his church to initiate. A world, a neighborhood, an office building, a school, a home that needs the touch of God's power. But none of this will happen by itself. It will only happen when people bow their knees to God, open themselves to this outpouring and infilling of the Holy Spirit. To be a Christian and to remain distance from the outpouring and infilling of the Holy Spirit, it's not just wrong. It's just tragic. Why should we desire the filling of the Holy Spirit? Well, if you take these two empty soda cans, they look similar, but one is filled and one is empty. The filled one is your life with the filling of the Holy Spirit. No matter how hard I squeeze, and maybe I'm a wimp, I don't know, but matter no matter how much pressure I try to apply to this can, I can't crush it. Why? Because what's inside gives it the strength to withstand the pressure that's coming from the outside. But the empty can, the life without the infilling of the Holy Spirit, it's easily crushed with just a small amount of pressure. And we see this happen in people's lives every day. People crushed by the world and its problems, marriages destroyed and relationships broken, families turned inside out, people kind of discarded because they could not stand up to the pressures of life. The Holy Spirit is God's essential in your life, God's agent of strength filling your life. He's been given to you by Jesus. If you will be open to his work, and surrender to his will, then you can experience and understand what the Holy Spirit can do in you and through your life and through the life of your church. Let's pray together. Holy Spirit, we just ask now for, your, for you to fill us from toes to the top of our heads. Just fill us completely, Lord. We have been so often content to try and go through the Christian life on our own, and it's so dry and it can be so difficult because we have no sense of the joy and the power that comes from you. So Lord, we just want to repent of that and turn again and thank you not only for our baptism that seals our salvation forever, baptism in the Spirit, but also the daily infilling of the Spirit. May you start today and every day this week, Lord, 
May we begin each day by just turning our eyes to you, opening our hearts to you through your word, through prayer, through a walk around the block where we just invite you to fill our day, Lord, and, and spend some time in your presence, Lord. Help us to be those who are, who are charged up with the zest and the power and the life that your spirit provides. Flow through us like living water. And we pray all this in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen.